All right, welcome to episode, episode number 100. 100. Woo! Ooh, celebration. We needed some poppers to go for Yeah, that. that's true. Yeah. Put in some uh, some sounds. Get in some sounds, yes, absolutely. So we might as well just jump right in it. I'm not going to I'm it. not going to edit in the Yeah, yeah. the that thing. Hello, you know? hello. My yeah, coffee's we're coming. Here, we're just good. Go. Yeah. Okay, so we made it to episode 100, which is interesting. I mean, you were, you showed me um, podcasts that are currently uh, of the same kind of nature that we have that um, they kind of die out, which I can understand. There's a whole ecos- ecos- loads of podcasts out there, and a lot of times people get started on them, and then they don't keep going, and yada, yada. But we did it. We're in for the long haul, we're folks. We're in for the long haul. We made it to episode number one. And we 100. got more questions, so uh, we're going to keep going. We got lots of questions, lots of questions, and I know... And the thing was, it isn't it? It's, it's um, yeah. I think that article that you sent, starting us off with about people don't take time to reflect, and I think we're probably well, natural reflectors. And I won't even call it reflective for myself personally. I think it's I just have a natural curiosity about how the world works. Yeah. Both internally and externally. So my mind wants to know. You're looking at sort of like underlying things because it's so easy to get caught up in just the detail, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it's easy to either go rote and just pay attention to the day-to-day task and you you do the things and, you know, why question that sort of thing. There's also, there's a book, uh, um, it's a Chinese philosopher I can't remember his name now. I have to link it in the show notes. But, you know, he says equally on the other end, you could spend so much time contemplating answers to questions that you're never going to get to, like who invented the universe or is there a God? Right, yeah, yeah. That, you know, you miss the that's interesting of living. Because, yeah, that's interesting because, you know, the Buddha, there were some questions that he refused to answer. Mm. So he just didn't even engage with it. He was like, "That's you can answer that question if that's an qu- interesting question for you, but this is what I'm about. Yeah. Um, and this is what I know. So, and, and is there a God was one of the things he just wouldn't, yeah. he didn't go there. Um, and which r- sort of leads into that quote by this, oh, I'm going to have a hard time, Slavoj Zizek. So this video that I put up on Facebook, I love this guy. He, he had that sort of really matter-of-fact, straightforward He's kind of like thing. a mad scientist, a philosopher yeah. type. Yeah. If can imagine, think of a mad scientist. That's him. this is a mad philosopher. He's kind yeah. of like that, yeah. So, uh, but he basically, it, I mean, it's a super short video, and he's basically saying the purpose of philosophy isn't to provide answers, but it's to do something more important, which is to provide an opportunity to construct the right question. Hmm. And that, you know, he sort of has this little reflection on the fact that you can not only have wrong answers, you can have wrong questions, which I thought was a really important sort of thought, because if you word a question in this particular way, and I mean, I, I sort of, at university, I studied psych psychology for a little while and that's a big thing if you're going to go interview somebody or something or you're doing a study then figuring out how to word the question in a way that's clear and going to give you the answers you know the kind the kind of answers you're looking for Mm. rather than you know something random is is sort of a science no absolutely questions huge and I mean in a line of work that I do in a coaching and I mean coaching is all built on questions and 
if you master the art of question, makes you a much more effective coach in that aspect. And what your philosopher is saying there, you ask the right questions, makes you a more effective philosopher as well. So yeah, so the do nature. Have, do you have an example in the coaching realm where, like, what would be a unclear versus a clear question? Yeah, so and it's maybe not necessarily about clear or unclear, but it's more about what output you're trying to get. So for instance, um, if, if there's a, I don't know, just take something simple. Someone's done an, a- an action or behavior, and you, if you say, why did you do that thing? Yeah. Then the natural reaction to that question is to be defensive, and it'd be because, and then they justify and make a whole sense of reasons of why they're doing. But and that makes them look to the past. So they look into the past for reasons and they justify it. But if you ask a question like, "What is it that you were trying to achieve by doing what you did?" then it makes them look at that question in a different way. They're not looking back. They're trying to think about what they were trying to achieve. Oh my God, I'm going to use that in my parenting. Well, it's good. It's I the like same. that. No, it's the same with kids and yeah. parenting as well. So. At like bedtimes, you know, any or stories, any of those kind of things where you. <laughs> what were you trying to achieve by jumping off the bed and landing on your head? Oh, yeah, oh. because then yeah. You, one, you can get them to maybe think about a different way what they were trying to achieve and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, if you're looking at goals and stuff like that, it could be you know what is it that you that you want to do, not what you don't want to do, so they can start focusing. So it's it's all about the which way you direct yeah. the people's person's mind with the question. Um, from that end. There was that Einstein quote too, wasn't there? Was if someone gave me a problem and gave me an hour to solve it, I would spend 56 minutes or whatever trying to formulate the question mm, yeah. and then the answer would be apparent or something. There's some, he Absolutely. obviously, he's Einstein so he well, puts the, it better than I do. The creativity workshop I was on yesterday, exactly the same thing we did. So we started out with a problem question-ish thing but then there's a series of 22 different questions to ask and by the time you're done with those you have a totally different question at the bottom which is actually the thing that you're wanting to sort of solve yeah so that was quite interesting okay um, Ooh, maybe we'll do a podcast on that i like that on questions or the 22 questions Uh, yeah Yeah. like the creativity one yeah cool no awesome so yeah so questions are huge which is the topic of our Podcast. podcast today was well today yeah. is about the um i mean it's 100 episode and then we were you know we put out to the listeners you know what's their question that drives them yeah so, yeah so let's get into that so yes. we start yeah. do you want to start with the listeners or should i start with your your question let's start with your question what's the question that that drives you we'll lead by example here what's the question that drives you your ultimate question my ultimate question is, um, it made me laugh because I've said this a, a few times, I think, on the podcast and on the face, Facebook. And then, so my, my basic, the question that drives me is about death. Mm. And I suppose it's about death in the real, you know, our life sense, but also about the death of things, you know, the, tr- the transience and the non-permanence of everything that we sort of have and even in the sense that you know you think about my kids you know you might ask a question where is the baby that I had Mm. you know so when we think about nostalgia it's sort of a kind of death too of of that person being the way that they were and now they're different Mm. you know what is it about that question that drives you what is it that you're seeking um well, so I think, you know, I said, I said before, and I don't want to repeat myself too much, but 
I think there was a point when I was an early teenager where I, and I, I don't really remember there being a moment, mm. but it was more like a period of time when it dawned on me that I was going to die and that everyone was going to die. Mm. And, you know, I, I've had a friend, you know, I think... Is it then, that you want to know what death is or what happens after death? Or if we're talking about shaping questions yeah i know exactly no i've got i've got the right coach on the other side of the table don't i you know i think that all maybe i'm in the process of constantly reforming this question i think mm. also it's a it's a sort of theme that then spawns a bunch of questions right. so i'm not sure if i only have one question in relation to this my my ultimate one is just how do I get okay with it and not be afraid? Right. You know, because I think at that point, and if you have the when answer I was to that young, question, what would it do for you? Uh, then I wouldn't have fear and to drive my life. Okay. All yeah. Right. Okay. So, because because I think when this question started in my life, I think I felt a lot of fear, and I think with regards to death, there is a lot of fear. In what, have our you, what have you learned about, about death it? and your pursuit of this question? Ah, oh, the coffee. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to have a stellar answer for you in just a second. <laughs> As you're readjusting. Yeah, I'm, I'm adjusting my caffeine coffee. levels. I don't know, why did I wait until 11 o'clock in the morning to have my first cup of coffee? That was foolish. It's because you wanted to have loads of coffee here while we're doing yeah, the podcast. exactly. Well, I had yoga too. Yeah, I have right. my internal tremor, so if uh, I drink too much coffee, then I shake like a leaf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've, I think I'm just quite naturally curious about how people relate to death and the death of others and the death of themselves because it says a lot also about, you know, how they relate to themselves. And I, I suppose going, you know, it's hard for me now to step so far back from all of my meditation and Buddhist sort of... Hmm stuff to a point where I used to be, you know, in my mind, because I don't, I don't feel like I have the same kind of fear, but then also, I also am not immediately staring in the face of death. You know, I could be, but I have to actually visualize that because I'm not diagnosed with something or... But you're human. You're born to die. No, I am, totally. (laughs) But I think people have a a different thing, don't they, when they get a diagnosis or when... Well, then it becomes more immediate. It's yeah, always right. real. It's always real that's for right. me from the time you come out of the womb, but it's something that we tend not to pay attention to. I didn't talk about this question mm. until really recently, mm. and probably just on this podcast, getting more okay with saying it out loud, because I'm afraid it freaks people out, because people are not necessarily okay about dying, and a lot of people I find... It, maybe it's just, you know, I you know I have that thing about wanting to not make people feel uncomfortable and I worry that saying well, these kind of things I kind of think brings something is, really is very, uncomfortable to people. It's a very empowering thing to accept that sort of space. So yesterday on this yeah. activity workshop, one of the guys was going to a funeral in the afternoon yep. and it was a friend that died. It's only 47, but the reflection, if we talk about what makes you stop and reflecting is to think, well, actually, there is an end point to this, and the end point could come at any point in time. So That's right. if there's things that you want to do, then do them, because yeah. tomorrow's not guaranteed to you. Yeah. 
Um, I think the Japanese, um, the samurai, sam, samurai warriors in the Bushido code, which I always, I, I love this, and that their thing was about the absolute, resolute acceptance of death. Yeah. And, and what that allowed you to do, and what the whole point of it was, is to do everything as if it was your last time that you were going to do it. I think that's the thing. I think if you have a different relationship to death than the majority of us are taught to have in our society, because I think our society sort of teaches you that it's quite scary. And we don't have a lot of relation to death. Death happens, you know, out of sight quite often. Um, it affects the way that you live. I mean, I was li- so I was listening to but this. Is it, is it death that we, or is it that we... Push that you want to live long. Everybody wants to live long. Ponce de Leon goes to look for the be immortal and live forever. But well, I think that's because he's scared of dying, not because he wants to live long. If you see what I mean. Right. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know because I'm just thinking about all the things that we have now is to push it so that you can extend your life. Yeah. Not so that you don't die, it's so that you extend your life. So you can. But keep it's on always living. just pushing off. Well, it's pushing the off the inevi- inevitable. So, yeah, but, but as I said, it's like, well, live as long as you can. Long, 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 long. Yeah, if you can be 120, yeah, keep yeah. going. It's pushing it um, to extend your time here. But And there's another quote, and I, don't, I mean, we'd have to look it up, but it's around this one of, you know, if you, you know, sometimes even if you have a long life, you haven't lived because you, yeah. you know, that, that sort of not yeah. actually em- embracing life peace. So, now it's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, question, the yeah. whole death thing. You know, I think, and and again, I, maybe I would like to have a whole podcast on the whole death thing. On death. Death, death is teacher. I like death. Hemingway's thing, that whole sort of, uh, today's a good day to die. Mm. I like that. See, I don't really care about the whole death thing, personally. Yeah. It's like, ah, I can go anytime. You know... I think this is the thing about questions, though, in general, that this question of mine has made me reflect about how we often have questions, but we're, if you ask someone, what's your big question? I think a lot of people, or I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but there, I feel a hesitancy sometimes, even in myself, to really articulate it, because really articulating your ultimate question puts you in a really vulnerable space, you know, it could, or it could make you feel that way. Yeah. I, I guess think. I look at the question as in, what, it's almost a motivation question. So what's the thing that's driving your action? So you're doing all these things. But sometimes, that, but sometimes that is um, something that isn't, I don't know. It is, a, is a profound and it sparkly. To, it's, it's, no, I know yeah, it doesn't need to be, thing, but yeah. I think depending on your question and where you are, you know, your question might be harder to articulate. You know, you know what I mean? You, you could find out the question easily by observing someone's behavior over time. Mm. And you'll see the thing, you'll see their underlying motivation, which is the question, which is the thing. So if you talk about the death thing, and watch people's behaviors and their relationship to how they yeah. live and what that might mean to them. But I think you can find a lot out from, if we're talking about the ultimate question, the one that drives you, you can find out from their behavior yeah. what that ultimate question might be. So. So, what's your ultimate question? My ultimate question 
which was a hard one for me, being of a philosophical nature. All well, like I said, you don't have to pick one. You can just pick a, <laughs> a one of many. My, my uh questions actually a two-part question, interrelated, intermixed, and it is what is life for and what is a life for? And I think, well, so what drives me about that is, and why I'm, like I said, my natural curiosity about all this stuff and having these kind of conversations is, it's almost like, what's the point of being a human being? What are we here for? Is it just, you know, I don't know, miraculously, just there's just some animals and, yeah. and you, you're made and you spring here and you just do stuff and then you die? Or are we meant to have do something else? Is there something there? And then, so that's the bigger question, I suppose, on that. What what is a life for? And then, as an individual, what you know, what is what is life for? And then, as an individual, what is a life for? So, you know, what is my life for? Yeah. Um, is the question that sort of drives me? What do I want to do with whatever time I have? I don't care about the length of time, but what is my life? Cool. There's that great moment in the, Al- the Alchemist by Paulo Coelho where he says something about you can always tell somebody who's followed their destiny because you know they're I can't remember exactly but it's he, the, the boy is in a marketplace and he's sort of lost everything everything's been stolen from him and he's on this sort of journey to be an adventurer and uh, yeah I always liked that because they see you know he was saying they seem sort of in flow with stuff because it, it bugs me that people pretend to have the definitive answer which is why I don't get mm. on with organized religion or you know sp- you know spirituality in terms of you know here's this yeah this way you have to do this that, that and yeah. that it drives me nuts from a number of different ways one I don't like sort of the, the whole sort of dogma thing two I don't think in my journeys that there is there's a lot of people that say they have the answer, but I don't think anybody has the answer. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. It's, and that's what keeps me searching. It's like, well, no, okay, what's well, cool, and I like that, and if it helps you, that's good. But it, that can't be, that's not the only answer. There's many answers, I guess, is my conclusion that I've come to, that there's actually many answers. But, you know, I think what's interesting about you and your attitude to that is that that might just stop someone ever asking because they're like oh, you know whatever there's no answer but that's a different attitude than the there's many answers let's go explore let's be curious let's look at all of the different answers let's go find or, them all yeah, yeah. but you're yeah. right some people will be like well some people so they don't I mean that's why they don't engage in this kind of stuff it's like well, what's the point yeah what does that do for you why are you asking all these questions you know life is life and get on with it <laughs> yeah what, what's the point of asking all these questions that you ultimately I guess have no there's no way to know the answer like there's no way to know what happens at death until you die but then I think also yeah no that I mean that's right that's Mm. right but I think but I think sort of asking and thinking about them and reflecting does do something more than when you just opt out of the whole process do you know what I mean if you're not curious and you're not well again depends on your philosophy isn't it so your philosophy of life might be just practicality so you know let other people 
contemplate and think about those things. I don't need to do that. No, I don't need yeah, to do yeah. that. My yeah. life is, a, yeah. is very practically oriented and I'm happy and centered in that sort of space. And I think we're, we're in a culture, though, at the moment, and maybe this is a sort of historical kind of thing as well, where we like to know answers. We like there to be answers to things. And, we want a and, definitive answer. Yeah, and, you know, there's been so much sort of dominance of science you know post enlightenment and stuff and Mm. post what the western world perceived the church to be this you know sort of controlling and mystifying sort of thing you have this rise in dominance of science where there's logic and reason and everything has an answer and there are some wrong answers and all that just that kind of approach to things and I think that you know, obviously, like, I'm a big, you know, science fan and all that kind of stuff. And But there is a limit to where that can take you, I think. Mm. My other one know. is about truth. Your other big question? Yeah, truth. Like, I want to know what is true. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the Matrix thing. Mm. You know, it's like, how, how do you know what's true? I mean, you never yeah, actually right. really had a chance, did you? To, no, that's right. Because I don't know, we got one of our listeners has asked a question that's similar to that, so I won't go into into the second half. But you know, you're born, and then someone starts putting all these programs in you, and you've never. How do you recover from that? So yeah, so that again, another thing that drives me is like, what actually is yeah true? the original clay you've said is yeah is there yeah. actually any truth to you know, I don't know I don't know I don't know what it is yeah yeah um, because it's so we're so shaped by outside forces in terms of the things we read the things we see the things mm-hmm. we've been taught the, all that s- stuff that but I mean even beyond that you have the aspect of this sort of matrix like with if everything is a perception in your own mind which the Buddhists would say as well then how do you know if anything's real yeah that was in my book that I read I started reading this week this uh everything and or something everything and nothing but that was the whole idea mm-hmm. and everything is real and nothing is 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 real in that sort of sense in the same way that you've just said that in there because you can never really know i think the other like the other thing i love about philosophy and and in a sort of practical way and and sort of this kind of contemplation is you can ask a question or you can think about a topic like that mm. and i think over time you have a different, slightly different perspective on it from stuff you've read or something someone said or, you know, your own experience or whatever. And I think you can come back to these things and you're, you know, it's almost like you sort of start to zoom out from it because at first you sort of, if you're trying to answer something, you sort of only have a certain perspective. But then if you keep if you keep coming back to it it's like coming back to a book isn't it mm. every time you come back there's you get some something else yeah. yeah that's right well if we think about our our uh, ancestors who invented philosophies are ancient Greeks and the whole point of philosophy for them was what is the good life yeah so you're asking all these questions to figure out which is, I guess is ultimately the answer to my question is what is a life for so you know you ask all these questions to help you to figure out what is the good life and then make your necessary adjustments and and then live that good life for whatever however length of time that yeah that you have 
I think there's a point to to just contemplation, though, in general, and I think this is what a lot of people get from their organized religion, people that get on with that. You know, like, I think about my parents and going to church. That was the time when you got to step out of... See, it wouldn't be our normal oh. <laughs> weekly podcast without the crashing dishes of it. You know, it's, it's that moment that's scheduled in your week to step outside of all the detail of your life and have a moment to pause, reflect, do whatever it is you're doing. And that could be in whatever way people decide they want to do it. But I think, you know, as people have lost interest as much in organized religion and, and less and less people are going to their, you know, whatever, churches, synagogues, mosques, whatever... I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of people still doing that, but I think for, for those of us who aren't, it's important to carve out a space, if nothing else, to step back from our lives and kind of have a moment to think, are we acting according to our values? Am I, is this the life I want to be doing? Because it's so easy to just get wrapped up, and then oftentimes you can just feel propelled by other people's stuff, isn't it? Yeah, again, it I mean, comes, I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah I think no, that's what the podcast and like, you know, sort of carving out this space for reflection or for questions or whatever you want to call it. It's to help is, you is with doing. that thing about yeah. what is what is my life for. I think it helps you with that aspect. So you carving and you, so if you, if you think that we're here between the dashes, we got time, whatever that is, whatever the length of time, and it's kind of like, well, what do you want to do with that length of time? Yeah having that time to reflect and contemplate makes you step back and think, all right, am I moving in the direction that I want to be going? Am I you know, doing the things that I would want to do with the time that I have on earth and what adjustments do I have to, do I want to make and that, that sort of thing. So um, as what I find the value of contemplation itself, I think philosophy for me is probably more about the questions, maybe less so about the contemplation, but more about the curiosity and yeah. How, why is that and does that work and but of course that's then, interesting and you know that yeah. kind of drives me like I'm so curious about human beings and their actions and their behavior because it's just it's just so absurd the things that we do it just absolutely makes no sense it doesn't make any sense to be a human being when yeah. you look at them I'm thinking what the hell are all these people doing like driving into work the other day and people trying to kill each other on the roads and I'm thinking do you really need to get to where you need to get to 30 seconds faster or a minute faster that you want to create such a dangerous situation but in their heads if we're saying people are animals or maybe we revert back to that space it says it's about you know I'm selfish and my world is contained in this car and I'm not concerned about anybody else that's around me I just want to get what I want to get yeah. And so they disregard their fellow human beings around here because they're so... And maybe those people need to take a, like, take a chill pill, relax, have a think, all right? You're going to get there a minute and a half quicker. Do, does anyone say that, that anymore? I, I love they, that. No, take a chill pill. Take a chill pill. You know, it's like if you got to work two minutes earlier, what difference is that going to make to the overall of the day? Yeah, that's why I need to get you on this app. We're all going to croak. We, gonna, we, we all croak. We all croak. That's Except it. we can't get it in Jim time. Morrison, nobody gets out of this thing alive. That's right. right. Yeah. Shall we take a quick break and we'll come back uh, after the break and... Hear people's questions. Uh, yeah, let's explore some of the questions that we got. 
on the Greek Forum. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. Our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience, our community of contemplators like you, and we would really appreciate your help with this. Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. Um, going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks and back to the show. All right, here we go. Let's get into the second half. We got some questions from our loyal listeners out there that had some things that they want us to tackle. So what do you got for me? What's the first question? Hit me up. So one question is... And who's how, it from? So it's from Rachel. And she has said, how does shame and fear organize our lives and what does it take to move beyond it? Okay. And this is a, you know, Brene Brown has made this massive splash now with all her TED Talks and stuff like that. And it's, it's so funny because in her TED Talk, she's like, the last thing I want to do is be the, the expert on shame, mm. you know, because as soon as you say, oh, what do you do? I study shame. I oh. study shame. <laughs> it's like, oh. Well, here's a question then. I guess the first thing to think about, well, what is, what is, what is shame? What is it? If we were defining it. So I think the way that Brene Brown talks about it, and she's got two amazing TED Talks. So for listeners who have not, watch those I'll stick them in the show notes but you can just go on to Google um, but she basically says there's this desire you know this fundamental desire of human beings to connect with each other and to because we're social beings and to feel a sense of acceptance in a group whatever whatever that group is whether it's your family or your friends or whatever um, and shame is that thing that if this group knew this thing about me, I wouldn't be accepted anymore. I wouldn't be liked anymore. Okay. It's that feeling that, you know, the thing that you don't want to reveal about yourself, the yeah. thing that you keep locked up. And but, but just I'll read, hang yeah, on yeah. to that. So, so just looking at the definition of a painful feeling of humilia humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior so as the definition of shame I think it's more than just behavior it's something about ourselves it's like but this is where shame comes from things, but think about yeah, this right. yeah. so I think it is totally yeah, yeah, yeah. in behavior and it gets conditioned into us doesn't it so and a lot of times people feel shame because it'll be linked to Something that happened, you know, they don't even. So, I know we got some other questions that are interrelated. So, I learned something some way back. Um, and now to do that thing, one, I don't, one, I don't want to look foolish. So, think about kids and you're yeah. in school and then get the wrong grade and then people tease you or the teacher reprimands you or your parents you yeah. know, discipline you because you've done that. So, you've done something foolish. Um, and then I felt humiliated in front of my classmate because, just as you said, I want to be accepted. If I do something that makes me stand out, and we say it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. Because if you think about some kids are really smart, 
but because they're smart and they raise their hand they ask a lot of questions if they get a lot of flack from yeah. the remainder of the class then they'll stop answering questions because they don't want to feel humiliated or foolish because I want to fit in yeah. um, and so we get so conditioned by this need to want to fit in to belong to the group to not be ostracized yeah um yeah. that some uh, yeah well it affects yeah, so, our behavior so it affects the, the things that we do that's right and I think also it it can also stem from there's something about you that people criticize that is just how you are and people face that with, with weight you know if you think about in in times past if you were of a different ethnicity or something there's a lot of things like you know passing for mm. white or passing for whatever you were you know the general group was but if someone knew this about me and I'm sure like you know people who have had to go through that with any of their sexuality stuff you know which is still a big struggle then you know there's all this thing so I, I think it's more than just behavior because it's it's like there's something about me like if people knew that I was gay or if people knew that I really, I'm not gay, but I'm a guy who likes dressing in female clothes or you know, just anything, literally yeah. anything that doesn't follow the norm can bring these feelings of shame. But the shame is only because you feel guilt, guilty, which is another thing that I have this. And if it brings it out, then... It, my parents might not approve of me yeah. or this person might be and they might not love yeah, you they, they might, might not, not accept me, me and whatever, the reason why I say yeah. behave because it'll modify your behavior so that's right. your inside you might want to be gay and be open but you're yeah. afraid of the consequences so yeah. you adjust your behavior and you don't do it and then you then consequently aren't that happy because you're not allowed to be who you are who you are yeah yeah. So, what was the uh, so I think that was so, it, so basically the, the, the question is sort of like how does this kind of aspect of our organize our lives? In other words, exactly like you're saying, how do we act in a world? And subconsciously, a lot of this stuff is because we're skirting around or trying to modify ourselves in little ways so that this thing that we're trying to keep inside doesn't come out or we're trying to modify ourselves to fit in so that people don't think we're weird and reject us. Yeah. You know, so there's, I suppose, you so, know, and like you say... how do you get around it? Read and educate yourself. <laughs> Read some Nietzsche. And, and the reason why yeah. I say that is some of it has to come from... And, no, and only you, you know, only an individual can make this journey is being, in, you know, independent, not being, being okay with not being a part of the herd. So the moment you start... So two ways that I look at this. So um, if you rule your life by what people think about you, you're going to have a lot of instances where you're not doing things. So if you take the responsibility back from others and onto you to yeah. say how that person reacts is not my problem, it's their problem. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess it does take a lot of courage to be able to to deal with that as well just to say okay well I'm not going to take on your stuff so your reaction is that you're angry frustrated whatever but that's not my problem so yeah. you deal with that or we can deal with it you know, let's deal with your thing and I'll carry on doing whatever it is that I'm doing but some yeah, yeah. I, I kind of muddled that up and I, I guess there's something yeah, no, about true. being an independent 
think of from that end, but having strength to having the strength that. and conver- yeah and courage to you know just be true to yourself and that 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 sort of space yeah i think also and this is something i come across in my yoga teaching a lot is and, and meditation stuff is that it's really hard to hold uncomfortable emotions hmm. and not try and get rid of them quickly. So I think this is like why people try and distract themselves from grief, but this is also why people want to in to modify themselves because the the feeling that they get is so, you know, and I, I'm only, I, I suppose I can only say this because I know it myself. I felt hmm. that way. And you have this sort of, this feeling that we're naming shame, but it's just really uncomfortable feeling. Hmm. And in order to be strong and say that's your problem and whatever, particularly if you're starting from a place where I already have this thing and I need to move beyond it, yeah. then you've got to be okay with standing in that moment where the other person or you know this group, this group or whatever that the whatever revelation about yourself is out there and you have to be able to to hold that really uncomfortable feeling and not make it better and not make it go away and just hold it i used this phrase just the other day to a group actually i said that you should feel shame okay i sent a because i and it was because there was a standard that needed to be met it's not met and my sentence was, you should be ashamed of yourself mm-hmm. for not doing mm-hmm. this. And as you were speaking, I was thinking, I feel ashamed or I feel ashamed of myself. Now, I know that I use that phrase, I feel ashamed of myself, but that's a closed circuit for me because... That's related to a performance thing, Yeah, so it? for me, it's like I wanted to do this and I didn't do this and I let myself down or I acted against my values I acted or against my yeah. values. so I feel ashamed of myself but I don't feel ashamed and I guess that may be a subtle you don't difference feel a sense so, yeah, of shame. I don't feel yeah. a sense of shame in relationship that I'm not going to show my face in front of other people because yeah I'm ashamed but I yeah. said but I use that phrase you should be ashamed of yourself and it was more about their performance and yeah and how much of their conviction to do the right thing that they wanted to do. So if they didn't, so for me, if they didn't feel ashamed of themselves for letting themselves down, yeah, then it was almost a, a sense of don't really care about this particular standard that we say that we want to, yeah, to have. Mm-hmm. And then the philosopher in me would say, well, that's if you don't care about it, why even make it a rule then? So then, because it's not useful. So if we're not going to do it and you don't care about it, then don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. So let's just throw it out. Why even pretend that it's this thing? And that there's nothing wrong with changing it and throwing it out. But, you know, don't don't be wishy-washy. Don't be sort of uh, lukewarm about the thing. Yeah. I think this this other kind of shame is is more, like, associated with fear. Hmm. That there's a feeling of shame and a fear that that thing will be revealed or... Yeah, anyway. 
But it's I mean, going to be yeah. revealed. Yeah. It's going to be revealed that I don't like vegans. But I'm not ashamed of not liking vegans. <laughs> you don't like anybody that's going to try and convince you to do something that yeah. you don't want to do. Because like as soon as someone says, make, I'm going to convince you to do this, this one thing, the right, this is the right way. And I just want to You've do already, it. they've already lost It's done. There's a couple of things. You. Someone else has just tried to do something. And, it, and I was... And I know it was easy to do, but I would just said I'm not going to do it just out of spite because you're telling me I have to do. I just don't. That's another. That's a whole other issue. I have issues with yeah. people telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, anyway. but I, yeah, no. And, and I, even though I know it's the right thing to do, or that it was easy for me to do, but if you say you want to do this, then I'm like kiss my. Oh, I almost made it X-rated. I, no, I ain't doing. I'm not going to do it on general principle. Anyway, next question. All right. How can we... This is a really good one. I liked this. This is um, from Judy, who is a lifelong campaigner for really great causes. Mm. And she um, wrote in, how can we campaign for the good stuff in the world and against the bad stuff or the stuff that we believe in without getting depressed and overwhelmed? Contemplation. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it's because contemplation helps you recalibrate while you're doing the thing that you want to do. Because there's a lot of stuff and you start looking at it and you think and you can get overwhelmed and, and am I really going to make a dif- difference and and that can all pile up on you mm-hmm. and I think it's that's 100% where contemplation comes into its own. Take some time out, step back, touch, refocus on what why you got involved or started or why you do this thing because if you touch those heart stones again and go back it, to the stoics and well it gives you energy again doesn't it if you can remember the original reason for why you got into it and what it is you're trying to I achieve I think the thing is like I noticed this with myself there's a, there are definitely times when I feel like a problem in the world is so great that it's easier to disengage from it entirely. And I think there's a lot of people who feel like that about, mm. you know, environmentalism, you've got all the crazy politics going on, you've just got all kinds of issues. And there's also, there's so many things that if, that you could get involved in and issues that people care about. Cause you know, just the same way as it's hard to think of just one question. It's really hard to think of just one issue you care about. There's lots of issues that people care about. and things that if they were going to make the world a better place they'd like things to be more like this or whatever <laughs> so I get I get what Judy's saying about it's actually very brave to really engage because mm. then you're actually your heart's involved you know and I think you're getting some skin in the game that's right but you reminded me of the story of the uh, they're on the beach and they're all the starfish are mm. on there and that whole thing how can I ever save all these starfish and then yeah. one flies throws a starfish and it made a difference to that starfish so you just focus on one person at a time or one thing at a time that you're doing to help Yeah. and if everybody does a little bit then you have a cumulative big effect I think you know there's something else too about there's a real I think with when you get really involved in an issue that you really care about, whether it's human rights about stuff, whether it's the environment, whatever it is, it's really hard to accept that there's you're making a small impact because you feel like you want to really make a big impact, mm. you know? And 
I just, you know, I think that we have such a small perspective on on the way that everything is going because we've got this little life, this little lifespan mm. compared to the vast span of space and time. I mean, I go, you know, this is a slight diversion, but we're annual members of the um, Space Center and I love going to the Space Center because yeah. if there's anything that's going to give you some more ultimate perspective on your little life and even all of these disasters, whether, you know, you know, whatever, it's going to space centers and right. looking at the stars and being like, actually, we're just a blip. And even all these things that I care about, it's not that they're not important and it's not that I shouldn't keep working, but also my perspective on all of this is such a blip in vast space and time. So, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I get that. I get, um, and I think what you reminded me of a couple of things actually, as you were as you were saying that, and, and I think we mentioned this book before, but it's um, what's it all about? And I think it's Baggini, but we have to look in the, uh, yeah, Julian ba Baggini. What's it all about? Because some of this, I think, two things I was going to say. One, I think. Um, and I have a nice almost ebook that we can kind of shape up and maybe send this out. And the argument for the, having a philosophy of life, basically, mm -hmm. and creating one of those, because it then helps you shape and frame what you're doing with your life, I guess. Um, but in this book, what's it all about? He looks at the seven maybe different motivations that over time that have revealed themselves in terms of what's a life for. So some people are driven and motivated by Altru altruism, so helping others. Right, yeah. Others are about achievement, and right. so you get your big tycoons and they're going after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's a, a raft of other ones in between. Um, so even as you were talking about environmental stuff, like I know, so I, I don't. I mean, I don't try and harm the environment, and I like the environment, but I'm not. Yeah, a campaigner for it. Yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. a campaigner for it, and you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, And so don't get. In fact, there's very little things I get crazy about in that sense, but but that depends on what your philosophy of life is, isn't it? So, yeah. And also um, sort of what you feel called to do. I think yeah. that's sort of, sort of like some people really feel like this yeah. is their, their, their thing. Sort of, yeah, yeah, this is their thing. And then, so. which is good. And I think, you know, because you, you get all sorts, don't you? So you have some people yeah. that want to save humanity and, and they're there. But I guess back, back to the answer to the question there, or, or thinking about the question, there is no answers. We have no answers. We only have more questions. Um, I think it is that idea of the contemplation and taking regular time to step back and remember why you got in to do what it is that yeah. you're doing to begin with. Because also, this sort of thing, like you're saying, it just actually spawns more questions, which is, if I take care of, you know, there's that whole thing, if I take care of myself, am I being selfish? Hmm. You know, this like, if I don't devote everything to this cause because actually I'm really getting burnt out and it's, I'm stressed out and I'm not taking care of myself, then people have a really hard time stepping back and, under, and, and thinking about that relationship. Like, what is selfish? What is not? How can I take care of myself and still give? You know, so, yeah. yeah. yeah I, think, I think the thing more, even more interesting to me about asking people these, what is your ultimate question, almost more interesting than what people have thrown out is people's process in thinking about 
what their ultimate question is. Because mm. you have all kinds of like resistance that comes up. Oh, I don't know. I can't think of just one. So I'm not going to think of any. And, you know, or I don't really want to share my, my question because, you know, maybe you feel Shame. like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, even, even the sense, even this question about campaigning, feeling depressed and overwhelmed is something that you might not want to admit as a campaigner, mm. you know? Mm. So just, I don't know, I think that... But this is one of the it's things... It's such we, a good practice to ask yourself this question, what is my question? Yeah. But, you, you know, we, we had a podcast on community, but I think that's, again, it's one of these things that we... Do we have open dialogues a lot and sit around and philosophize and contemplate that very kind of... Yeah. Because you can... Because there'll be other people that would feel like that. And then by like what we're doing right now, you then get different perspectives from people and it helps shift or change or confirm your perspective on things but in the biggest sense it it reinforces that you're not alone yeah and if you've had that thought then others have had that thought and then we can share how we deal with it how we deal with it and then maybe that gives you some clues into how you might want to deal with it just real quick while I have it up that what's it all about um there's um living life forward is one move things from heaven to earth that was more the religious stuff here to help the altruism stuff campaigners doing stuff for the greater good um as long as you're happy these are all people's different kinds of motivations yeah, for, yeah. yeah there's different philosophies of like becoming a contender so the whole achievement thing or actually um, and the carpe diem uh lose yourself so i think that was all about sort of um well, kind of what we're who, doing. Who is yeah, your real yeah, self? Yeah, 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 that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's a good book, yeah. um, and it's very accessible book as well. So yeah, it's not yeah. dense. It's quite a nice way of helping you to frame it. And I have, and we maybe we should do something with it. Um, uh, an e-book that I've been messing around with for ages, but yeah. it takes you kind of through some steps for how to create your own philosophy mm. of life. All right, next question. All right. What do, to what extent do we repeat things our parents or grandparents have done, like outings, favorite meals, hobbies, etc.? and how important are these things to our present life and happiness? Well, I think part traditions. of that... Yeah, family tra- traditions. Traditions. Um, there's a book uh, called Games People Play that talks about rituals and traditions. And, mm. um, do you guys have family traditions? Um, or do you, do you do things... Let me ask, re-ask uh, you. Do you do anything that, you know, your mom used to do with you? I don't, because we didn't have any family traditions. Okay. But Ruth's family has loads, so all the ones that we've done and have done as the kids were growing up were all been uh, based off of Like what? Can you give us an example? Um, Just the way that they do Christmas, for instance, you know, so, you know, the when you open the gift and when you you have the meal and then you do this and you open it So that's also the tradition in that yeah. that sort of way. Yeah, just yeah. You know, it's funny when I first moved to this country, I didn't really get the pub thing. Mm. Well, yeah, there's that's a real thing, it's a real it? cultural thing in Britain, isn't it? The pub and what the pub is, and mm. I think in the U.S. we don't have that kind of space where it's a place to go for alcohol, but also Sunday lunch and kid friendly. You know, like if you go to the bar, then you go to a bar and mm. it's in the evening after work or on the weekends and you don't really take your kids there. 
you know? So I think for me, when I first came over here, you know, like you can go to the pub and have non-alcoholic drinks. You wouldn't go to a bar and get a juice, would you? Not really. Yeah, yeah. I so, think we've had a different relationship to so our just, bars. It's just pubs, funny, like yeah. thinking about sort of cultures and and outings and stuff. Like you know, it's people's tradition, isn't it, yeah. to go out for Sunday roast at? Yeah, they uh, love their pubs. Pub. In my little town of Southam, we've got easily eight. Yeah. I mean, the, the place isn't big enough for eight pubs, but we got we barely got eight, eight shops. Nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly, but. <laughs> They love, they love the pubs. <laughs> I know, but I'm into it now. I mean, yeah. I'm not a big drinker, but I'll, I, I like my Sunday. No, you don't well, have a local, so you, don't, I mean, you haven't accepted pub culture. So. Well, I used to have a local, and then now I have little kids, and yeah. what, what's but the point of the local? Bringing them, like our, one of oh. our locals, they got that outside thing for the kids to jump on. Yeah, and sort of stuff, that's what we need, basically. Yeah, it's so, true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think about other. I think another. Well, I think well, think about it. How do we learn? So, as and going back to the question about traditions of parents, or how do how does human beings learn anything? We learn it by modeling others, don't we? So, as a kid, you're going to model the adults in your life. So, you're going to model your parents in terms of their attitudes and behaviors of mm-hmm. things, and they've taught you how to to engage in what rituals and what rituals are important so and then you just reflect and model that behavior what do you think why is it important i'm just reflecting for myself as well Mm. because there's a lot of traditions and things that having moved over here we do the way my husband's family does them like mostly christmas now and stuff has been with them and but I still feel like there's certain things that I do that are repeating the way that we did things. So like at Easter, I always make um, a cake in a mold that looks like a lamb. Hmm. That was like what we did at Easter. And we also had an egg tree that was like a stick with these little wooden eggs on it and stuff like that. So there's little things that... I it's do. It's a connection to your past, isn't it? It's a connection to your past. But you also then, if you're if you're recreating that for your for the next generation, you're sort of moving then into a different role with it, aren't you? Well, you're the keeper of the flame, so you're yeah. passing the tradition on to the next generation. Oh, I like that keeper of the flame. Yeah, you are. So, but you have to choose which one of those you're passing on. But again, as you say, so sometimes we're grounded in it because that's. And you have, especially if you got good memories associated, you remember how it made you feel and grounded and connected. Mm-hmm. You want to pass that on to your kids so you pass on the same tradition so that they feel grounded, connected, and um, those sorts of things. So it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's our connection to who we are and everything. So if we start talking about identity, your identity is kind of made up or tied up into some of those traditions. It would be interesting to think too as a question for for all you know for yourself hmm. about what do you do anything i mean i know already before i ask it your answer is no but if <laughs> do you do anything out of a sort of habit of your family that actually if you were to think about it you don't really enjoy do you know what i mean i bet i bet people do like a lot me, of things give me an example of yours well, uh not sure if I can think of one just straight off but it just sort of made me you know think mm-hmm. like okay if we're doing all these things and what I think of that I'm passing on that I do is some of the nice you know magic things like yeah. you know how the tooth fairy works and how the Easter you know 
tree looks and yeah. cake and blah 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 um but i kind of wonder like do i do anything that just you know so, so many of these things we just do don't we we just do by rote yeah you know yeah so you now i'm kind of a weird person to ask that cuz i think at a very young age i i made well we talked about this in the past that you know so i guess if that is a tradition that if we want to count that in terms of what this whole idea about being independent. So I didn't come up with that myself. That's how I was groomed or raised, Mm -hmm. is to be independent and then not to rely on anybody but myself, that sort of thing. But that was all driven um, from my mother because she lost her mother when she was very young and had to take care of her brothers and sisters and that. And she didn't want me to be, or any of us to be, um, not prepared if she died or what have you. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so... I guess that would be one thing that I picked up that I still hold or have. Is Do you feel like you've pushed that with your kids? No. Nah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, yeah I, I want to, but Ruth is, she's too nice. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I would have I was just saying she's yesterday, nice if, if your mom isn't, isn't sort of a softy, then yeah. who is? Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, no, I, I didn't. It was a different world, you know, for for them and for me. And yeah. I, let, I let their mom do all that that shaping. Yeah. It's like, ah, yeah. Back in my day, I do remind my son, and I say, you know, to, when I was your age, I left home at seventeen and never, and I was I was independent from seventeen onwards. So just take that. I was out in the world doing my thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they just ignore that and. Uh, so there are following certain traditions. No, Dad's not mine. Are, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, well they rejected mine. They would have been gone yeah. already. I wouldn't, yeah. He would be yeah. off in the world making his way. I just mean not listening to your parents. Oh, the, not listening to your parents. It's a perennial, perennial tradition of children. Yeah, rejecting the... Yeah. Well, that would be good. So if he rejects what his mom instilled in him, then maybe he'll become independent. <laughs> you never know. Good. You never know. You never know. They rarely listen to their mothers, as far as I can tell. So, yeah, they listen. They kind of actually do. They just pretend that they don't. Right. You'll see it re-reflected when they get. I'll hold on to that. When they get older, but <laughs> and they always give moms the harder times anyway, because you know that's what you do to moms. And you yeah. and you know that you the mom will still even when you make her angry, she's still kind of there for it. They always go back. Everyone always goes back to their mom, don't they? But yeah, we're like the yeah, the just, dependable punching bag because yeah, yeah, we're exactly. just always going to be here. Yeah, yeah, just there. They yeah. love you through thick and thin. All right. And uh, last question. I think for the moment cause some will be out of time. Yeah. Uh, do we actually like slash hate the things we claim to like or hate? Or do we or have we just been programmed by society or conditioned by our family and loved ones to these preferences? 100% unless, and uh, to a lesser degree, the more you delve into where your beliefs and values that you hold now come from. And I think that's an important journey that people should make. And if you're into whole Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, that's, and and young for that instance and this whole idea of individuation but I think this um, think about what your values and beliefs that you have now that you hold whatever they are and then making that what I call um, the breadcrumb sort mm-hmm. of theory so where did you get that belief where did you get that value from 
And is it still valid in your life now? Well, I think it's funny because as I've gotten older, because you think you move away from home and then you set up your own things and you're sort of there. Hmm. But actually, I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't do that anymore. And that's how I was raised or something. Like I think about, you know, this is just a stupid example, but like snacking. Right. I grew up in a family like my mother's a big, you know, snacker. I just grew up having snacks. So you have, you know, your three meals, but then you, you always have snacks in between them. And now I just don't. I just have my three meals and that's that. Right. So it, it's, these are like little stupid things, but it's like, you know, all of these, our life is made up of these little things, isn't oh, it? Do you know what? I just had a, a light bulb moment. Oh, what? Well, because I'm saying that, you know, from the family sort of stuff, I don't have these tra- tra- traditions. But there's a lot of things that I still do now, and maybe that was it. Maybe the army became my surrogate mm. father, mother thing. Because yeah. there's some things that I do, even now. <laughs> One of the silliest, smallest little things that I do, um, left over from my military days, and not a single civilian and, or that didn't go to West Point will even appreciate this at all. Okay. And won't even know it, but it's called a dress-off. And basically what we had to do in our shirt and tie is that you had to um, pull the excess cloth of your shirt out mm-hmm. and then tuck it so that it forms a nice yeah, yeah, yeah. crease and tucked into your trousers. Yeah. And when I was a plebe, if you're running around and, you don't, and your dress off's not right, that was just, you get flamed. Right. And so you were... You know, you were constantly, your buddies would be checking if they say, so you, you know, make sure you're dressed, dressed off. But I still do that even now. I will go, as soon as I come into the office, because I've been in the car and you're all crumpled up, first place I go is to the, to the bath, the latrine. Yeah. Um, and I do my dress off. <laughs> and then sometime around lunchtime-ish, because you've been sitting down and that sort of thing. So I probably go to the toilet at least three times through just a day just to tuck your shirt in just properly just to do the dress off and it's not just yeah. tucking yeah, in yeah, you yeah, do yeah. The, and I do that at least three times a day um, at the office I, don't, I wouldn't do it outside I, gotta, like, I don't usually wear colored shirts necessarily out and right. when I do wear them outside well no wonder because you're constantly having to readjust well, uh, well the colored shirts that I wear outside is uh, have them untucked anyway so yeah. they don't have that but yeah so that's one and there's there's some other things that left over from the military that I have one attitudinally and behavioral and value wise I guess mm. so yeah so there you go maybe having left home so early yeah and then I got some new mom and dad called yeah. Uncle Sam. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Uncle Sam, because they say that, don't they? They are going to tear Uncle you down Sam, and yeah. build you back up. Well, it's and they did. happened. Yeah, I guess they did. There you did. go. So where were we at with that question? So, so yes, I think we were we, at the, do you actually like the things you like and hate the things you hate? Yeah, but I think that's a journey that you have to take to ask yourself, well, where is this come from? Yeah. Um, where did I pick it up from? Could it be from family and I just do it because that's what we've always done? And so you start asking that question. One thing I would... I don't know if this is a caution or not. Um, yeah, we should do a little cautionary statement. Because I've been in situations where... And I'll use the matrix because it's a great metaphor. But where... I guess to sort of coaching and what have you, they come unplugged and they start asking questions. I call it being unplugged. 
But then I've seen them spiral. Who's they? Well, I'm saying they because I don't want to identify the they. I've seen a like few people. 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 Yeah, they yeah. people. The they that I have in my head that yeah. I remember. Um, and they come unglued because if they start questioning and then the thing that their beliefs have now crumbled in a sense and then they, they lose their footing because that belief that I believed so much and it drove my action, my behavior, and it was my world, that now crumbles, but I have nothing to replace it with. Right. And so they kind of spiraled because everything mm. that they've ever known and believed is now not necessarily mm-hmm. true or valid for them anymore. I think that's a big reason why there's a lot of hesitation about really engaging with questions on a personal level. I think it, it can be scary. Yeah. If, oh no, sort of when you start making questions about your beliefs and values, I think that gets scary for people yeah. because you don't want to invalidate yourself. So if I start questioning the belief, find out actually it was a belief that I picked up from here and it actually doesn't serve me anymore. Especially if you don't have anything to replace it with. Yeah. But then it can make you question everything you've ever... Especially if it really drove a lot of your actions and it can question, make you question everything you've ever done in relationship to that one belief or value. Right, yeah. Um, and then your whole world starts to yep. c- crumble. So I think you have to, you have to go... I think it's a journey that everyone should make. I think there's also the danger of over like intellectualizing questions because you can sort of spin off in that same way because logic isn't everything Mm. dare I say then you can logic yourself into a whole bunch of questions that that spin you right off the edge I think like in terms of what is this for anyway we don't know anything anyway you know and then you you existentialism baby yeah but the existentialists like I you know they always then go cool I'm I'm free now the jump off the edge is then I'm free not there's no point in life and I might as well just die yeah you know so I think there's a certain attitude and approach I mean you know in in yoga sort of talk about there being just like there's a physical posture, there's sort of mental postures mm. that we can have. There's sort of mental mind approaches. And I think having something that is engaged and clear but not too tight is important when you're talking about questions in general where where you're exploring questions. And I think if you do this naturally, if you don't have this super intense approach to things, it may not even occur to you that this is a problem for other people. But for a lot of people, people can get really, really intense about things. And I'm sure you've seen with coaching and stuff too. So, you know, you've got all the chill pills you need. Hmm. But there are people who, you know, they're, they're, mind is very tight and very um, graspy and they're they're looking for something to really do you know what I mean? Well no because I, I cast people whose minds are really 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 tight maybe I shouldn't class people but I do as 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 fundamentalist as in their belief they're locked into that belief and there is no other belief but that belief and to question it is to is 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 bad because there yeah. is that only belief. But then there's also that that sort of 
attitude about yeah go ahead no no Uh, like in terms of being an intellectual there's a there can be a tightness there too well yeah because that's my belief my if i believe so if my identity is tied up in my being an intellectual so then we're talking so the thing we're talking is probably three things you're talking values you're talking beliefs and you're talking identity so if my identity is tied up into being an intellectual and whatever model of an intellectual that I have, so we need to act this way, talk this way, read these engage books. Engage with questions in this engage way. Engage with questions this way. Mm-hmm. Um, if I come up against something that knocks that out of whack, then there goes my identity. And then who am I then? So then, yeah, well, this is what brings on your existential crisis is a lot of times, isn't it? So. Yeah. I've been running along 100 miles an hour like this, believing like this, doing this, doing all these things I've been taught, trained to do, believed in, traditions, all this stuff, run into something that calls into question all of that. So there's that big boom stop, and then you think, whoa, who am I now? If I don't have that, who am I? Yeah. And then you go into that existential bit, and then you either or spiral completely out of control and go over the edge and fall into the void, or you'll get to the edge of the void and you think, all right, well, actually... And none of it means anything anyway, so I can create the meaning that I want. Yeah. And that may be to go back to being an intellectual or um, however that might sort of play itself out for you. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess you have to have a way back. Maybe. You've got to hold everything, I think, a little bit loosely. Hmm. Now, because you know. like Joseph Campbell was saying with his hero's journey, though, is that, yeah, sometimes you don't come back. Sometimes the hero doesn't make it back, but you got to go on the journey. And then, and that's the whole adventure of it all, isn't it? That you go on the journey and you'll get, if you make it there, you get the elixir, and then, but you got to make it back to the ordinary world. And sometimes we don't make it back. But that's why you do your training and your practice and your yeah. things to make you equipped so you have the best chance. <laughs> Uh, one, getting there, and two, getting back. That's the most important thing. you got to get back as well. So it's not enough just to get there. Yeah. But you got to be able to get back. All right. Um, well. That was cool. So episode number 100. And I like the questions that came in. Yeah, and you know what? So what was cool about watching people's questions come in is how different they all are. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing, too, is that we might have big questions that drive us sort of overall. But then I think in any period of time, you might have a different question. Yeah. Like, for instance, a, another um, person had brought up the question, how can I raise my kid in a way that they are internally motivated and can be themselves without taking on these this baggage of... You know, so it's yeah. There's no answer to that. No, you can't, well, you can't help it. That's well, just you know what I mean. It's just tough, isn't it? Yeah, but then every you know, I think because they say that we pass on our demons to our kids, but we don't know that we're passing it on to them because you're just doing whatever it is that you're yeah, doing. That's right, and it's every and, parent's fear, yeah. I think. That you're like, parent, you but don't, you don't have, but you don't have any choice. What other model do you have other than the one that yeah. you had, and then you're just making the best decision and choice that you know. Wow. I mean, I think that you can look at other models and... Yeah, you can look at other models, but you got to pick one. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that's the a one perfect for that... one. And yeah, right, right for that kid. That's and right, and whatever that model that you end up picking, it you passes to do on... Your best, yeah, I'm yeah. saying it passes on some demon to the kid and the kid... I don't know if you ever watched the Bruce Lee movie, Into the Dragon, about his life and 
um, metaphorically, but I think they believed it wholeheartedly that about this demon that you pass on to your kids. And one mm. of the part of the journey that the kid has to do is to defeat the demon that right. was passed on to them from their, their father. Interesting. Um, or the demon destroys them and oh. consumes them um, in that way. And Bruce Lee struggled a lot with... Um, right. with his you know the demon that his dad passed on to him um, oh, that's interesting I think yeah. we need a podcast on that yeah yeah no it's interesting and, and cool. you know some people uh, look at it literally as a demon but mm-hmm. demon will be this thought process this belief that's yeah, maybe yeah, yeah, making totally. you not live to your potential because totally. you're hanging to that, that thing but yeah, yeah so I think that's the thing when you pay attention to questions as they arise in your life it's more like being open to what's actually happening hmm. and yeah. dialoguing man getting out there yeah. I think we're still you know bringing the whole yeah. sort of reclaiming philosophy back for the people you know the whole sort of practical philosophy about how to live and what's the good life and yeah. having these kind of conversations where you're actually kind of exploring your beliefs and values so that you can recalibrate them or yeah. hang on to them or change them and chuck them and get some new ones but you know you just kind of go through that journey but do it with I mean, some, some people are going to want to journal write, isn't it? Like yeah. there's sort of different spaces for it. And there's sort of, you know, I was, I was thinking about it because in this article, why you should make time for self-reflection in the Harvard Business uh, Journal or review rather. Uh, yeah, she was sort of saying at the end, like, where can you reflect journal writing? But I was thinking also about movement. So, you know, you have your walks and there's a lot of people who when they're running. And for me, when I'm driving is often when I get the best ideas. I used to have this really long drive back from university sometimes. And uh, I did great thinking on that drive because, you know, in the States you get these roads that just, you just get on them and you're on it forever. And, you know, and and then there's conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And having a mix of them all. Here's uh, to episode number 200. 100. I was going to tell you something I learned about myself yesterday. Oh, okay, good. I learned that... I hate being the student, I like being the teacher. So I like to learn on my own, but then uh, dialogue with others in relationship to doing what we're doing here. I can, I've digested it. Now let's have a conversation. Let me hear your interpretation and yours. And yeah. then I synthesize a number of different views. Because yesterday I was a, a delegate and I just, it's so hard for me to sit there. And, cause especially because they, if they have something that, it's not a facilitated thing and they want to talk. So I got to listen to their thing. But of course, I naturally have questions, <laughs> but you don't want to derail the thing by going into my little spin. Like the guy yesterday, he kept referring to, you know, problem statement and the problem when we're talking about creativity. Well, in my head, I don't look at things as problems. So I was, I was struggling because in my head it's, I look at things as challenging, but I don't look at things as a problem. So it's a challenge as opposed to a problem. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so when it's like, oh, what problem do you have? Well, I don't know. Yeah, right, <laughs> now, right, if you right. say what challenges I have, that's yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. another issue, and I can work with that. Um, but it, but I didn't want to, you know, so it was, it was that, and just sitting still, and I don't like, uh, I'm probably like your son, I hate sitting still. Yeah. And having to uh, your mom, I think a lot of like, these ah. things that you have said reminded me very <laughs> like, much come of... Come on, man, let me yeah. out of here, I can't see, I was, I was ready, I was done after, you know, 20 minutes, it's like, all right, well, let's move, next thing, so I want to go yeah. at my own pace of learning yeah. not someone else's but anyway that's what i learned or reconfirmed about myself yesterday. see there's always new stuff new questions yeah. so i was gonna say happy 100 but here's to episode 200 
Because yeah. I'm sure we can think of a hundred more questions to ask, no doubt. Absolutely. Lots more exploring. I'll just send you back into the swamp if we run out. To do. Yes, go back to the swamp. Outstanding. See ya for 101. 101. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. We have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience, our contemplate, our community of contemplators like you, and we'd really appreciate your help. In fact, there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot. One is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show. Another is going to iTunes and giving us a review, which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, can, people can come across it. And you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website. Thanks a lot.